0: Our lives, you take our moments, you take our days, you take our stuff that each one of us walks into this room with, and you anoint it with your Holy Spirit. You release us of sin and shame as they get in the way of our hearing. You cause a bidness of our faith and your love for us. So, Lord, if this work here is about my time, my preparation, my knowledge, Lord, nothing will happen but. When you show up and when you do your powerful work, lives can be transformed. People can be healed. Thoughts can be changed. So, Lord, we're asking that your Holy Spirit infuse every word here. That this time be not about me, but about you, glorifying, bringing salvation and knowledge. Lord, thank you for being a big God. It's your holy name we pray. Amen. Starting to hear more and more stories about the $10. It's wonderful to hear them. If you have not gotten your $10 yet, please do so. Um, it is you. Yes, you are supposed to get the $10, and you're supposed to use it for kingdom work. However that is, whether it be small or huge, it is yours to use for kingdom work. And I'm really starting to hear some just cool, ways that people are doing that. So again, if you haven't gotten your $10 yet, please do so. If you have, um, please write the story down and put it back and mark the envelope so that we can read those stories. So we can see what Jesus has been doing with those $10 as we live out this gift. Today, we're going to talk about this idea of the gift of being chosen. We heard in the gospel lesson today, we had a couple of different characters, and each one of them anointed in that time. Simeon was told, you will not die until you see the Messiah, being chosen to be that person. We have the Messiah showing up as the anointed one, coming to be laid down and have the temple kind of things happen that they do of naming and giving him his um, presence of a man, a boy in Israel. We have Anna, the prophetess, right, waiting to see the Messiah, These people who have been chosen for this day to see this moment. And now Simeon has that great hymn, I may be released in peace. Finally, the day has come that I've been waiting for, that I've been chosen for and anointed for. So I want to flesh out this idea of being chosen. And I want to do so um, because I think we're living in a day and age where the truth of this, the truth of being chosen is so difficult to grab a hold of. And I see that as a symptom of of the symptom of that being the loneliness that I see and continue to believe is just ebbing more and more towards a crisis. Yeah, there's viruses going around in the world, all those kinds of things. But I am afraid, not afraid, the thing that I pray over for my children is that they're entering into a world that is more and more isolated. That is farther and farther apart from relationship. Farther and farther from being known what it is to be chosen by God or by another person. And this loneliness is critical. It's important that we talk about, think about, battle against, pray against. Uh, the, The statistics are staggering of male suicide, of male friendships and the lack thereof. Um, I heard a story this week as I was getting ready for this sermon of a woman about my age, maybe a little bit older, but she's on Instagram. And she was noticing that there was another woman in her community who was kind of liking all the same posts and, and following the same things. And she was really starting to feel a kinship with this woman because she's realizing, wow, we're going through the same struggles and, and doing the same things and liking the same stuff and live in the same area. And she saw her at a party, at a mutual gathering, and she saw her for the first time in person. And she went up and she gave the lady a hug because she was excited to see her. And the woman backed away and said, I don't know you. Who are you? And it was at that moment that she realized that she was feeling this connection to this other person. But in real life, there was no connection. That this manufactured relationship was substituting for something that's real. This relationship online that was nothing in the world. And so I want to talk about a particular verse today, and I want to use that to dive into this question of what is it to be chosen. The verse that we're going to be discussing today is this one from the Gospel of John. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. Now, we're going to ask two questions of this text. The two questions that we're going to ask are these. Why did Christ use the word friend? You think about the plethora of relationships that we could have used. He chose friend. And I think there's something important there. What does that teach us, the fact that he used the word friend, about this idea of being chosen? Okay, so those are the two kind of questions we're going to ask of this text. Before we get there, I want to lay some foundations for you. I want to put some different thoughts on the table and then we'll use those thoughts, hopefully to inform these questions. And then we'll leave here, maybe just 1% different than when we walked in because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So let's go. First reality is where I started. We need to recognize the fact that we are built for relationship. There is not one person in this room who is not built to be in relationship with other people. And relationships does not mean we need to be married. I need to have a spouse. That's not what this is. We need to understand the value and importance of relationship. We need to teach. We need to do the hard work of relationship. We need to recognize that we need friends and we need people around us. Especially you guys in this room. Because as you read, again, going back, men are bad at relationship. We don't value it the way it should be valued, and we don't prioritize it the way it should be prioritized. So, just to put a very pointed edge on it, you guys in the room, do you have male friends? Do you prioritize those relationships with your male friends? Are you willing to sacrifice some things in order to make those relationships happen? And, wives in the room, I would say, encourage your husbands to do that. We need relationships. Second thought, this is an intimacy bullseye or whatever we want to call it, but this is the way that we're going to think about and talk about relationships today. Think about these circles as they get closer and closer, they get more intimate and also just kind of some big buckets that we're going to use to talk about relationships with outside of the relationship bullseye. there strangers, right? Stranger could be somebody in India. It could be somebody down the street from you. You do not know them. They are unknown to you. They, they are somebody who's just another face on the street, a stranger, one inside from that. So someone we may have a relationship with, let's go acquaintances. You know each other, you know, each other's names. You probably share somebody in common. You see them at a party. Oh, good. They're there. I'm here. Okay. But that's about as close as it gets, right? We have a lot of acquaintances. Those slots are filled up, right? A lot, a lot of acquaintances. One in from that, then, is this idea of friend. Now, what is a friend? C.S. Lewis has a great book where he talks about, it's called The Four Loves. And he talks about these different types of loves. And when he's talking about friends, he has a really brilliant illustration. He says, lovers... Look at each other. So they're turned towards one another, and they look at one another. Friends, and this is the way he says it, but I'll explain it to you. Friends look at something else, and they walk side by side towards that something else. So we're both looking at one thing. Um, You like the Lakers. I like the Lakers. Ah, We're walking towards that thing. We're looking at that thing together and that creates love between us. Oh, you like to play board games? I like to play board games. And we walk towards that thing together, right? So friends don't stare into each other's eyes. Friends look at something and they walk towards that. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful way of the word, says this. Friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, What? You two? I thought I was the only one. I thought that no one but myself. You like board games too? Uh, you like the Dodgers too? Wow. And then you walk side by side, right, towards that thing and that's the difference between friendship and maybe acquaintances but surely friendship and this which is our next level of the bullseye marriage okay marriage you'll notice i've made these next two circles green and the reason i did this is because these next two relational circles I believe, are defined by oaths and vows. They are defined by the fact that a promise has been made over that relationship, which changes the nature of that relationship. So August 28th, 2009, Emily and I stood in front of a group of people and we made promises to each other. We made promises that no matter what life throws at us, we're going to continue to work through this thing together, that there'll be highs and there'll be lows. There'll be all the sorts of in-betweens, but we're not going to give up. That brings with it a certain level of safety, right? A certain level of expectation, a certain level of comfort in those kinds of relationships. They're defined by vows, And then we have, at the most intimate, our relationship with God. Now, both of these, both marriage and a relationship with God, are defined by vows, oaths, covenants. God has covenanted to us, here's a verse, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is called the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham in the book of Genesis. God promises to bless his people. He will not give up on them. He will not let them go. He will be with them. Now, when we look at these circles here, we realize that although both marriage and God are defined by covenants, God is on the inside because he doesn't break his promises. God's covenant to us is steadfast and sure. When God says it, he will not break that promise. And so when God says on the cross that I am for you, died and resurrected for you, That doesn't go away. That covenant stands at the core of who we are. And we know, unfortunately, marriages are made up of two sinners. Right? One of my um, Fuller professors had a great quote. He says, the problem with marriage is that the second you enter into it, you double the sin problem. Before, I was just having to deal with my sin. Now I have to deal with my sin and Emily's sin. And then we produced three little sinners... And so our house is just full of five-way sin problems all the time bouncing around. And we know, though, that although this relationship is defined by covenant because of sin, that covenant is very often broken in this world. But ideally in that form of marriage, and God uses the illustration of marriage all the time. Genesis 2, he establishes marriage. Revelation, he talks about the church being the bride and Christ being the groom. He uses marriage illustrations throughout his parables. So he talks a lot about marriage. He uses the safety and security and the love found in marriage as a beautiful illustration of, the, of Christ to his church. But he chose not to use it here. Why? Remember our verse? we're talking about no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for his friends you are my friends if you do what I command you I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father let's just for a a mental fun game pretend he said spouse husband or wife? What if let's replace the word friend with spouse? What if that's what Jesus did? I think the change in teaching it would do is this. If I said, I lay down my life for Emily, you all would go, of course you do, right? You you vowed to do that. You've covenanted to do that, to lay down your life for her. That's defined your relationship. But now, if I say, I lay down my life for Marco, what would you do with that? You'd go, wait, Marco? (laughs) Now, not because he's not a great guy, but you'd go, he's just your friend. Why would you do that for your friend? And I think that's exactly the point. The expectation of laying down our life for our spouse, for our covenanted relationship is always there. Defines that. But friendship is optional. Um, Lewis says it like this. I have no duty to be anyone's friend. And no man in the world has a duty to be mine. No claims, no shadow of necessity. Friendship is unnecessary. Unnecessary like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself for God did not need to create. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which gives value to survival. I don't have to be Marco's friend. And we all have friends in our lives that come and go, right? We have people who come into our life for a season, it's been wonderful, and then for whatever reason, they move away, um, dynamics change, you get into a big fight, who knows what happens, but that friendship separates itself out, right? But in a friendship, what you're doing, if you're willing to lay your life down for your friend, you are not doing it because of covenant, you're not doing it because of vows or because of obligation, you are simply doing it because you see that person and you value them. I believe you're worth it, Marco. I believe who you are is worth it, and I'm willing to die for that. And in saying that, I think what comes with it is this understanding that if you're willing to do that for your friend, and you're the friend who's receiving that gift, now let's talk about feeling chosen, right? Now let's talk about the fact that Christ looks at his people and he says, greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. This is before he's going to go to the cross before the empty tomb. And you know, if someone laid down their life for their friends, how incredible a gift did that friend, give to that friend. How wonderful did that friend think the other friend was that they were willing to lay down their life for them. What an amazing story that would be for some friend to lay down his life for the other friend. And then in Jerusalem at Passover, Christ does that for his people. And on Easter, he resurrects. And in doing this, I think he looks at his people, all of us, and he doesn't just say, I'm not just vowed to you. I'm not just obligated to do this to you. I'm not just covenanting with you because you're my bride, the church. But I choose you, friend. I see you. I want you. I know you. And I want to die for you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And I call you friend now. So why did Christ use friend? Going back to our questions. I think because with it comes value. With it doesn't come obligation or covenant. Of course, that's there. Of course, Christ has covenanted to us. He has given himself to us because he's part of the Godhead. But in him pointing out the word friend, I think he's taking it to this level of saying, you know what? I choose you. You would be amazed if a friend gave his life for another friend. And that's what I want to point out here and now. Look what I've done for you. And so we can walk around with the knowledge that we are not only covenanted with, we're not only um, in a vow with, but we're chosen. We're the beloved. We're the friend of God who he's willing to die for. And then we here in this room, we can be called friends to each other. Although some of you like the Lakers, others of you like the Clippers, some of you like the Dodgers, right? We can still call each other friends. Why? Because look what stands at the center of what we look at together. All of us from different seats, from different places, from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different races, different everything. We say, but we can be friends because of the cross of Christ that unites us all and the empty tomb that calls us his beloved and his child. And so we can walk side by side together with that cross in front of us and saying, let's do this life together because of what Christ has done for us. Wow. What an amazing God. What an amazing God to not just be obliged to, covenanted to, vowed to, but also chooses you. We live in a lonely world. And as I said at the beginning, an increasingly lonely world. We live in a world where people do not feel chosen, do not feel seen, do not feel wanted. And we have a God, we have the story, we have a message that can battle against that loneliness by reminding people that they're chosen by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That he not only calls them son and daughter, but he calls them friend. That's the good news that we have and that we can share. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for not just calling us son and daughter, but thank you for calling us friend thank you for that beautiful passage that you lay your life down for each one of us, your friends, and that you have seen us and you value us. Lord, help us as your friends to gather together to fix our eyes on the cross and the empty tomb and to walk side by side together Each with our different stories, our different baggage, our different stuff, our our different ethnicities, our different um, heritages, our different jobs. But you can be the center point upon which we focus. And in that, all of the differences fade away. Lord, I also want to take just a moment to pray, especially for the men in this room. Lord, help us to be willing to boldly, Go into the land of friendship with other men. Help us to value friendship. Help us to risk. Help us to pick up new skills in order to establish and build those relationships. Help us to teach our sons how to do this. Believing that you have built us for relationships. Help us to teach our sons how to find good men to be around and to be friends with. Lord, give us your heart, give us your words, and give us your peace. Amen.